Hello, and welcome to the Cherry Blossom Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Williams. And this show is all about uncovering life life mysteries about money. If you've ever wondered how other people manage their money or the money mistakes they've made, well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. We'll uncover these mysteries and more. On this episode, we talk to Maddie Baker. Maddie is a multilingual procurement professional with more than a decade of direct and indirect sourcing and HR experience. She has a proven track record of achievement with global and regional organizations through outstanding stakeholder and supplier relationship management, strategy, process development, and implementation. She is also very generous with her time by serving on different boards and sharing her wisdom with women entrepreneurs, as well as volunteering with charities close to her heart. Today, she's going to share with us how she looks at her money. We're excited to have you on the show, Maddie. Welcome. So thanks, Maddie, for being here. It's great having you here. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. So how we'd like to get started is to ask you, what was your first job? Well, um, I grew up in the UK, in uh, in the southeast of England, and I lived in one of those little villages that had a shop at the top of the road. Awesome. So um, I have a brother that's about 18 months older than me, and... Uh, my parents just treated us the same and we got a monthly allowance and anything else was really up to us. So, of course, I did things like babysitting, but I think my main first job was working at the shop at the top, top of the road. road. Yeah. <laughs> and my brother already worked there and I, I'm not quite sure whether I was on the books or not, but I used to get paid uh, £2, which is probably about $3 an hour, to stack shelves and... Uh, it was pretty boring and mundane, but strangely satisfying at the same time to mm-hmm. to work. And uh, I loved getting money and having my own money. And uh, there was something very nice about getting that little envelope once a month or at the end of the week that had, even if it was only, you know, $15, it was still money uh, that I could then go and buy myself a CD or a new top or something. And so uh, yeah. ever since then, I've, I've always worked. And uh, even when I was at university, I worked in a I ran a bar at the university and have always done other things. So well, I've had great. money to supplement mm-hmm. uh, my studies and my, you know, reduce my student loans yeah. and that kind of thing. Well, and those, both those jobs are public facing, so you have to deal with the public, mm-hmm. and, and that's those are fantastic skills to learn at a very young age. Yeah, yeah, which definitely is awesome. And uh, you know, because it was a, a small family-owned business, actually, even when I was fourteen or fifteen, and my my brother being there as well there was a couple of times that on a Sunday night it was you know me and him running the show <laughs> and we were the ones responsible for you know working at the cash register so I think from a financial perspective it was also a really good introduction to counting money and how much things cost and understanding that a pint of milk cost a certain amount or yeah. six eggs or, or whatever and, and seeing uh, I guess everyday people coming to the store and, and talking about what they were buying and why they were buying it and at some points, people were struggling with money more than others or yes. saying that it was their last pennies buying, you know, a bottle of wine or yes. whatever it might be. Yeah, that's fantastic. Great insights into life and getting life started. Life in rural England. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then, did that help you or how did you get started in your profession today? 
So I work in uh, procurement and I knew that I wanted to work in business and I was fortunate enough that I travelled quite a lot um, and between school and university I actually taught uh, at a township school in Swaziland in southern Africa. Wow. And so I knew I wanted to work in business and I wanted to work internationally because I love travelling and and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So my theory was if I studied languages I'd be quite employable. (laughs) So I studied French and Spanish um, and part of that was uh, part of my studies was studying in France and I studied in Mexico for a year oh, and then it was kind of by accident that I started in my profession because I started working uh, for a pharmaceutical company in the UK and it's quite common in the UK when you finish university that you look at all these leadership development programs mm. and most big companies have them um, and quite Accidentally, I got approached by a large international company who said who were linked to the charity that I'd worked for in Swaziland, and they came to me and they said, you know, on the basis that you've done something like this, we think you're the kind of person that we want in our company. So, because I'd done a degree in languages and nothing that specific, um, I could apply to procurement or finance, and actually, it ended up just being. Uh, the VP that was talking about procurement made it sound really exciting and a good mixture of skills and uh, that's how I ended up doing what I'm doing and it turned out to be a a good fit but I I laugh and I tell people sometimes that I did look up what procurement was on Wikipedia (laughs) the the night before my interview but it worked out okay that's awesome (laughs) fantastic it just goes to show that you that you know, we often just don't know, and it the, it's, is the opportunities that get presented. Yeah, absolutely. And that you take those opportunities in yeah. order to then take the next step. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I definitely believe that one thing leads to another. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, um, you know, even living in Vancouver and moving to Canada, it, it's a chain of events that you can't predict when you're <laughs> when you're younger. And for sure, um, even you know, meeting you was through getting involved in supplier diversity from a procurement perspective and signing up to help support a women in business uh, organization within Vancouver and the rest is history. Yes, yeah, yeah, which is great, great connection. So once you started gaining momentum in your career, how did you start to handle your money and your increasing wealth? So I would like to think that I didn't really. (laughs) Um, I lived in London in the UK for the first five years and even though I was earning decent money Mm -hmm. it really didn't go very far and by the time I'd paid rent and I can't say that I had an inactive social life (laughs) um, there wasn't really much left over and I I did eat into my savings a little bit that I built up um, at various points Mm -hmm. so and every time I had a holiday in the summer I didn't necessarily work I thought this is brilliant I have two months off let me go and travel around South and Southern Africa or yes. <laughs> let me go and travel around Mexico so um, it always when I started earning money I think it always seemed to add up at the end of the month and I was lucky that I went into a role that gave me a salary that I didn't really have to think about what I was spending but mm. at the same time reflecting on that now Um, it probably meant that I wasn't as good with money as I could have been because it wasn't really conscious thinking I'm going to spend this much money or I probably shouldn't go out that night. Although I think because of the, uh, I guess, the financial skills and the things that my parents had instilled in me, it it wasn't like I was frivolous and I didn't Mm -hmm. spend that much money on lots of different things. I always paid off my credit card at the end of every month. I never asked my parents for money. So it wasn't like I was acting (laughs) irresponsibly financially but I I don't think there was any real conscious thought into it and then as time went on I think as I got more senior and my salary increased I tried to 
make the most of things um, that were available to me. So I always think if I have money in my hands, I'm more likely to spend it. So actually the way that I saved and started growing uh, my shares and my investments was just by taking advantage of the fact I worked for a global company that had share schemes that matched certain percentages of yeah. your salary and pensions. And so it wasn't necessarily conscious. It was just, okay, the maximum that they're going to match is this much. So I'll put this much in. And steadily, I realized that it was it was building up what I what I saved, even yeah. though in my mind, my bank account was still relatively empty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's two things in that that I hear is one, it was instilled in you from a very young age to live within your means. Yeah. So you did everything that you did, your travels and you're taking mm-hmm. time off and living in London within your means. Yes. Which is superb, which is fantastic place to start. So you didn't get yourself kind of behind before you had to get ahead. Yeah. And the second thing was, is you took advantage of free money in, a, in you know, when yeah. it was offered to you. So mm-hmm. when there was workplace savings or workplace matching, you know, then you took advantage of that. Yeah. And that still exists today in various places. So for example, when people have kids, there's the registered retirement or registered um, education savings plan, which the government matches with a grant, which is, you know, free money. So taking advantage of those free money offers is such a great lesson that we tend to forget, you know, because we may even take it for granted because it's free money. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And it doesn't feel like money at the time. You just sort of sign up and think, oh, it's, you know, 4% if I put 4% in, they'll match 4%, but actually it really does add up over time. Yeah. Even if you feel like you're contributing a little bit month yeah. by month. Yeah. And I often um, talk about it as um, a tap dripping. Mm-hmm. So one drip, you know, like that one 4% doesn't feel like a lot, yeah. but a tap dripping over time can create a huge mess and a huge mm-hmm. flood yeah, that definitely you know, then is like your money. I'd yeah. like I'd like my money to be a huge flood. <laughs> a huge flood eventually. Point. Okay, awesome. <laughs> yeah, well it sounds like you're well on your way, so that's fantastic. So in during that, was there any big money mistakes that you know you've commented on a couple of things that you um, thought of as things you learned, but was there anything that you then said, oh, that was a real regret or a real mistake? I don't think necessarily mistakes. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate that I think because I had some degree of financial responsibility instilled in me, I've never not been able to pay off my credit card and I've never yeah. run up a debt that that I don't feel that I can pay. So, yeah. so that's a positive, but I do think sometimes... When I think about, I moved to the US um, for a couple of years and because I worked for a large pharma company, I got quite a big bump in salary. And I had a great time, you know, went out for dinner a lot and traveled a lot and went to quite a few different US states. And sometimes I think, where did that money go? And it wasn't that I was saving in parallel, I just could have saved more. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I think maybe I should have um, been a bit more conscious of what I was spending and therefore been probably saving more just because by the nature of thinking about it you know you're more aware of it um but at the same time I don't I wouldn't take back the time that I've spent on doing things that I enjoy and I think one thing that I um love about your approach is really thinking about what your fun money looks like and mm-hmm. what your life and, and building your financial plan to adapt to what you want for your life for sure yeah and um you know things that you and I have talked about as we're building out my finances or even just making sure that I've got a pot of money that enables me to fly back to the UK twice a year which isn't something that I actively think about but 
it adds up. That's probably two, two and a half thousand dollars if I want to yep. go home a couple of times a year. So exactly. uh, that's important. And, and I think things have become more complicated for me personally because I've lived and worked in the UK, US and Canada. So I'm now in a position where I have three bank accounts, three pensions, three share accounts. And it was only relatively recently in uh when I moved to Canada and met you and I started really planning and thinking, well, what does that look like and should I be moving things around and mm-hmm. how do I consolidate that? Um, I think an, another couple of things, I think sometimes I've been too nice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think because I have a good job, there's sometimes that assumption that uh, I will fly home for weddings or that, you know, mm. whatever hotel people are staying in, you know, is fine. Or um, I think sometimes I'm only overly generous in terms of gifts or if people are visiting, I buy a lot of dinners because I think, oh, they've just paid a flight to come out and see me. But then when I pay my flight to go home, no one's buying <laughs> me dinner. <laughs> um, so yeah. I think I'm trying to learn to be more cautious and I want to be a generous person and I I don't not want to be that person, but I also want to be conscious that I don't always have to do that to a fault. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose the the final thing, it's not necessarily a mistake, but I haven't necessarily planned for life events. So whereas a lot of my friends, uh, you know, got married in their 20s or early 30s or, or had kids, they were kind of forced into a situation where I don't know whether they planned for it or not, but that was a, a, a heavily, a heavy financial responsibility. And yeah. I haven't done any of those things yet, so I haven't necessarily needed to plan for that or work around it, um, which in some respects is good because I probably would have spent different amounts of money yeah. 20, 10 years ago than I would spend now on a wedding. But at the same time, I haven't had to think about it, but I have also haven't planned for that that yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. no, I understand. It's... Um, it's also when you're forced into those situations that we often take a harder look, mm-hmm. you know, at, at what we're doing or we're, you know, and often age has a, you know, also has a factor in that, particularly when you're thinking about retirement. It's often when people reach their early 40s. Yeah. It seems to be the trigger point that people start to think, oh, I've got, it's you know, that, I thought. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> oh no, there's 20 more years. You know, if, if I look back over those 20 years and I do the same thing, yeah. you know, to get to those next 20 years, I'm not going to be ready. So how do I shift yeah. things around? But yeah, it's a very good point. So um, in all of this, you know, have you developed an investing philosophy? I think, as I said before, uh, my philosophy is simple as get it out of my hands quickly. Yeah. And I do think that if I haven't seen it, then I don't miss it. So um, I was promoted last year um, within my organization and, and you and I had a conversation to say my salary is going to increase by this much. What else can I do with this money so that actually the same amount of disposable income I have is in, in my bank account is the same, but but I'm building a, a savings fund elsewhere. So um I do continue to maximize the percentage that I can to put into my pension uh, within my shares within the company I work for and increasingly uh, investments as well. So um, I try to do that. Um, I'm also trying to learn to be more financially confident is something that um, I, I do think my parents gave me a strong foundation and I've leveraged different opportunities available but sometimes it feels like I accidentally found myself in a good position. <laughs> so I think I am trying to be more confident in what investments look like and it, and the fact that you don't have to be an expert at all these things and the jargon terms yeah. aren't that complicated if somebody explains them to you in, in layman's terms. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the final thing is I 
I always pay off my credit card. Yeah. Every time I get paid, I go into my bank account and I uh, set it back to zero so I never pay any interest on it. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm very fortunate that I, I was in that position and I managed to pay off my student loans uh, a few years ago now. So uh, partly because I haven't bought a house or a flat or an apartment or anything, but I, I don't have any debt at all, which I think is quite unique for... Definitely. for somebody in my position. Yeah. And paying off debt and staying out of debt is as much as an investment as being invested. Because mm-hmm. if you think if you're paying five or 10 or 20% interest on a debt, you know, you get that debt paid off, you, you know, you're, you, you're actually giving yourself that five or 10 or 20%, yeah. you know, to, in order to be able to do other things with. Absolutely. So it's a fantastic philosophy. Yeah. I think it's a really good point too, about your financial confidence and building financial confidence, because so much to me, and this is part of, you know, what is important to me is that the finance industry so much is like talking to themselves, like yeah. people who understand the industry, people who feel comfortable in the industry. And, mm-hmm. you know, I came into this industry, you know, taking over my dad's practice and having to have all those frustrations, those same frustrations as people, because it was more of a family decision as opposed to, Oh, I really want to be in you know financial yeah. planning and investing. And uh, that's really important to me to like take the, opaque nature of some of these things and make it yeah. really like plain language because yeah. it isn't like you say all that complicated but it feels complicated because it's a whole yeah. nother language and it feels scary and I think to myself you know I'm degree educated yes exactly <laughs> I'm a director I manage a team of 18 people if I find it this confusing and hard yes there must be people that are way more confused than yes I am. <laughs> and you also are comfortable numbers given procurement yeah yeah I, I analyze numbers and balance sheets and do financial evaluations on companies that we're spending money with every single day yeah exactly (laughs) so yeah I agree so I think that industry can do a lot better and helping people make it not feel so scary or feel like you know as people often say to me I feel like I'm putting my money in the lottery when I put it in the stock market and that is you know the furthest thing from the truth but Mm -hmm. unless you understand or have someone you can talk to about it you know it's it's very um, frustrating you know to take that well and scary to take those first leaps so yeah yeah, well done for making that a you know, a kind of a cornerstone of your investing is, you know, just feeling more financially confident mm-hmm. and willing to take a look at it. So we also like to talk about, um, you know, your take on giving because mm-hmm. we really have seen and we really believe that people who are willing to give either of their time or their talents or which we also say their treasures yeah. also have a less um, hold on their money and money flows much more easily and generously in their lives Mm -hmm. so you know do you have a take on giving philanthropy um absolutely and I think it's um it's always been a big part of my life and when I talked about you know living in Swaziland and I was teaching 84 grade four pupils in a township school and that was all voluntary and I've, I've always done a lot of voluntary activities so I think in terms of giving I more formally give back with my time and I'm involved in a number of different charitable organizations and sit on a couple of boards. Um, I I don't, and when you asked me this question, I actually paused and thought, am I doing something wrong here or should I be doing more? (laughs) But I don't necessarily have any regular giving, but I like to donate to causes that I care about and I like to be able to donate to friends and family when they're participating in charity events or supporting things so whether it's Movember or someone's running a marathon or there's an event going on at work um because I don't have any regular giving but I think because of that when those things happen it's not just ten dollars here or there but I feel like I can give somebody fifty dollars or a hundred dollars and um 
I, I probably should give myself a limit, but I, I also think just by kind of ad hoc giving donations, I sort of keep track of it in my head and yeah. feel that it's appropriate to what I want to do. So yes. um, I guess it's a mixture of giving in terms of my time, but also giving in terms of uh, contributing to causes that I care about and mm-hmm. my friends and family care yeah. about. Yeah, and I think that's really a valid you know, point in that you're thinking about the causes you know that are important to you and wanting mm-hmm. to you know contribute to those but you also do give a great deal you know of time mm-hmm. you know to support organizations and that's a really important factor as well because yeah. organizations need that support I also like to think about where the money's going I remember um you know I don't see it as much in Canada but in the UK when you're walking along the street you often get people that stop you from a big mm-hmm. charity that mm-hmm. say hey sign up to giving you know, $10 a month or $20 a month. And they make a lot of money that way. But also if you look at the portion of that money that actually goes to what you care about, mm-hmm. often by the time you've taken all the overheads out, it, it ends up being 40 or 30%. I think one of the things I like to do is give more directly where I can see the impact of my money. So um, even donating to the school I volunteered in in Swaziland, where I know that there's something tangible that I can see with what I've donated or what I've raised money for or I ran the London Marathon for uh, for charity and raised money for um, for, for an organisation that I cared about. I, I was fortunate enough to I ran the Dublin Marathon for a, another charity um, wow, called great. the Hole in the Wall Gang, which was started by Paul Newman. And there's a range of different um, uh, camps for families and children that have been affected by childhood cancer around the world. And something like that, I feel much more confident giving to myself and also asking friends and family to give to because yeah. I have participated in something where I've seen the benefit of, yeah. of what happens. Wow, giving and getting fit. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> or staying fit. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to run another marathon right now, but <laughs> I've done it now, so I can yeah. take the book. <laughs> yeah. So where you are now, looking back, is there one piece of advice that you'd give your younger self about money? I think partly just don't worry so much and don't be so scared. I think I was always that person that you'd get your monthly bank statements and I wouldn't I wouldn't open it. And then right. a few times, you know, my dad would call me and say, oh, you've got a letter at home and they're going to charge you $30 because you're overdrawn. And I wasn't actually overdrawn. I had money in a different bank account. I just wasn't very good at keeping track how much it was in my current account versus my savings account so I probably paid the bank more money than I need to in terms of overdraft fees um and I think I was always so scared of it and and like I said earlier I'm not sure I really proactively thought about my money decisions even when I was traveling I kind of thought oh well you know a hostel costs this much and dinner in this place costs this much so I probably need roughly this much money and then work to that and I think if I'd been more proactive and more confident with it, then it probably would have saved me a lot of worry and I might have made some better financial decisions earlier on. Yeah. Just in terms of starting to build more savings versus yeah. spending as much. Yeah. Well, and I just love that too because, you know, as I've said earlier, is that you're not uncomfortable with numbers. No. You know, and that's <laughs> the thing that's so fascinating to me is that, you know, you know, even me as an accountant had to, you know, have had my own journey, which is a whole other story around money. Yeah. Um, so it's not about the numbers. It's about something about the money and the emotional, you know, reaction we have to money yeah. that stops us from helping us, helping ourselves, you know, help get, get ahead earlier yeah. until we m- maybe take longer to do 
you know, to look at things or get comfortable or say, okay, I want to change things in order yeah. to do that. And that and to in me my is professional life, I'm, I, I would say I'm a bit of a control freak and I yeah. need to know everything and I, you know, have to get those actions done. And then I find when you're talking about money and it's your personal life, there's this taboo or innate yes. fear around it. And so yeah. those, you know, the letters do go unopened or you don't organize it or, you yeah. know, how often do you actually sit down and map out, here's all these here's all the different buckets of money and investments I've got and what does that look like as a total yeah. portfolio yeah not not often enough <laughs> yeah that's fantastic it's you know and it's fantastic that you are willing to share that too because I'm sure people will feel they have that same experience themselves and that they, that they can say hey well you know I can I can do this you know yeah. yeah and I think the more you learn about it the more you realize that actually you were fine all along so I remember the first time we sat down and I was thinking oh my goodness this is going to be a difficult conversation and then actually it was completely the opposite I walked out almost feeling like a weight had been left lifted off my shoulders because it was one of those things I wanted to sit down and talk about but never really knew who I wanted to talk about with because it never felt normal to just go into a bank and talk to a stranger about it so um yeah, it's just interesting, that whole relationship. Yeah, that's fantastic. Cool. So now looking forward, you know, what one piece of advice would you give your older self about money? I, I think that it's a difficult one, but I think one of the things is kind of don't save it for a rainy day. Yes. <laughs> so, as you know, as time goes by and I'm hopefully continuing to grow in my career, I find that I am saving and investing more, which is fantastic. But I also don't want it just to sit there and me to wake up in 30 years time and think oh well I didn't go on that trip or I didn't buy myself a new handbag and it it's not necessarily about being frivolous with money but yeah you know you often hear uh you know parents or or relatives say oh well you know we're gonna you know you could you can you're gonna get this much inheritance and for me that's of course that's nice to give people inheritance but at the same time it's kind of not necessary I feel like people should enjoy their money that they've worked really hard for and you know I'm the first person to say to my parents you know come over to Canada and visit me (laughs) you know you don't need to leave us anything enjoy your money and make the most of your retirement and so I think if I look forward um, hopefully you know in the future I will have some of those life moments around weddings and buying houses and things like that which will uh, you know cost a bit of money but at the same time I, I I want to make sure that I'm investing and I'm growing my money, but but that I don't just wake up one day and I've got a big pot of money and I'm not doing anything with it. Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> agree more. And that you're so right. It's about balancing today and tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about thinking about how do I live today well, you know, and how do I prepare for the future? Yeah. But it's not an either or. It's mm-hmm. finding that balance and that middle ground. And, you know, you've done such a great job, to, you know, so far about taking advantage of those things and thinking about how do you take advantage of those things um, that you've got such a wonderful foundation to then say, OK, well, then how do I continue to build on that foundation and then also still enjoy and take advantage of, you know, life's opportunities? Hopefully. Yeah. That's the end. Yeah. Which is fantastic. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time, Maddie. It's not been wonderful um, talking to you and learning more about your take on money. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Not at all. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening. You can check out the notes below for links related to this podcast. If there is someone you'd like us to interview, we'd love to hear from you. 
visit our website, www.lifestyleprotector.ca for contact information and more episodes. 